We here at Stormdar Weather work hand-in-hand with the National Weather Service and other professional weather service agencies as a Weather Ready Nation ambassador. We are avid weather enthusiasts who have studied the likes of Mother Nature for over 30 years. The purpose of this podcast is to provide weather information, facts, and trivia in a manner that is entertaining and easily understood by everyone. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Stormdare Weather Podcast. This is our special sun safety edition. I'm Rando, and we're going to get to the interview in a little bit with my dermatologist, Dr. Christopher Wilbers. In Springfield, he was kind enough to uh, do an interview with me talking about the uh, the, the effects of the sun, sunburn, uh, what you can do about it, how to avoid getting that nasty sunburn and how you can avoid skin cancer from the sun. But before that, uh, there's I got a couple of things to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had some severe weather last week. How about that? Man, how about that hail? I mean, we had some major hail reports all across Missouri and uh, when it all started, uh, north of Springfield, I forget, it's around oh, several counties, a few counties north of Springfield, we got reports of uh, tennis ball size hail, baseball size hail, and one, I, I don't know if it's official, but uh, the Mesonet caught it, so somebody reported grapefruit size hail, that is four inches in diameter. You do not want to get hit with one of those things. But we kind of knew this was going to happen. And last week, Corey and I talked about, you know, the potential of severe weather. This was the, this was more of a hail event than, rather than a tornadic wind event. You know, we've always talked about this. The the way the atmosphere gets structured in the storm system and stuff, it's it's either going to be a wind event with tornadoes, with an outbreak, or, you know, damaging straight-line winds, with a little hail, or it's going to be a hail event uh, with, you know, some wind and maybe a couple of tornadoes. So this one was definitely <laughs> a hail event. Uh, we got um, some reports down at, just east of Kirbyville, which is, Kirbyville's just, just east of Branson, uh, some reports of tennis ball-sized hail. I mean, we love all the people... Uh, love, love all of you sending in your hail reports. One thing we do ask, though, I mean, don't hold it in your hand. Uh, put something comparable next to it, either a baseball or a quarter. A quarter is good. Uh, anything that's common that doesn't change because, you know, <laughs> my hand is going to be a little bit different than your hand. And somebody else's hand may be very big. And when you take a picture of the hailstone in your hand, it's kind of hard to tell exactly, you know, is it, is it a hen egg? Is it a softball? You know, I mean, that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, do that. And then definitely, once you take that picture, send it to us because we love it. But also send it to the National Weather Service. They want to know all these hail reports. It helps them with their their radar. Uh, when they're looking, they can go back on the radar and kind of cross-reference and say, okay, this, ha- th- this size hail fell. And now they can look at the radar and they can attenuate the radar. They can make judgments on on uh, how to help protect 
everybody from that. Anyway, it's just a good idea uh, to, to help them out. Uh, so the other thing, now this is falls in, in other news, but we're all different this time, uh, is Wednesday, last Wednesday, Fort Lauderdale. I'm sure everybody's heard about that. Wow. I watched it on radar, uh, looking at the Weather Channel. Uh, thunderstorms just blew up over Fort Lauderdale and Hollywood, Florida, right around that. It's just north of Miami. Miami. <laughs> Miami is in Oklahoma. Miami is in Florida. Um, I think the total for two days is 27.48 inches, 27 and a half inches. And they have set a, a record for the most rainfall ever in a 24-hour period. I don't think that 27 and a half inches was in the 24 hours. I, I, I got to check that. Um, they were kind of vague on that. But what it did, it, it, you know, flash flood emergency, massive flooding. When you get over two feet of rain in a, one, in a 24-hour period, I mean— Wow, that's just that's insane. And it closed the airport for 40 hours. And I thought this was fascinating. The three wettest months for Fort Lauderdale area are June, August, and September. Those are the three wettest months out of the year. If you total all those three months, you'll get a rainfall amount of 25.46 inches. So basically, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, with this storm system and this complex, got 27 and a half inches in like a 24 or two day period, and that is more than the three wettest months combined. Crazy, 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 crazy. I, I had to bring that up because it was really fascinating. And the other thing I'd like to talk about is we have got another storm system we are watching this week. It could pull in on Thursday, a pretty strong cold front. Right now, it looks like the strongest of the thunderstorms will probably be just south of us, mostly in Arkansas. The, the models are, are kind of consistent on that. I mean, now we're still three days out, actually four days if you want to count today. They've been advertising that for a couple of days. So we're sure that they will be tweaked. You know, uh, when the day three outlook comes out tomorrow on Tuesday, then we will know some, you know, a lot better what's going to happen with placement and stuff like that. Um, that's all I can tell you right now. So the best thing to do is just keep watching our page, Stormed Our Weather on Facebook. Uh, you can join the groups. We have a road conditions group, which is specifically for road conditions. And we have our Southwest Missouri group, which is just fun group for everybody to post clouds and, and, and hail and thunderstorms and birds and everything, you know, weather related. That, that's a lot of fun. So join that. And the last thing I want to talk about is cold air is behind this cold front. Its temperatures are going to plummet. Over the weekend, I think Saturday, the last check, the high on Saturdays is in the mid-50s. Mid-50s. Our, our average high right now is up around 70. And unfortunately, there is a potential for freezing temperatures. They're talking about area interests really kind of need to pay attention. Overnight, Saturday night into Sunday morning could be a freeze, and especially north of Branson, if you're in a low-lying area, you could drop below freezing. So if you are a farmer or you got crops or plants, you know, you could have your sensitive plants out there. Really pay attention to the weather. Might need to bring those in or cover them up. Now, 
pollen. Last thing I want to talk about, pollen. Crazy. We got some new members coming into the pollen uh, factory <laughs> here. We got Ash, Birch, and Alder. Uh, that's different from last week, and we're all waiting for that cedar to come in. Cedar is, is one, of, one of the trees that's going to really uh, paint your car yellow, and when it rains, you'll have these nice little yellow rivers going down. So it's bleh. it's coming, so we'll keep talking about that and cover it next week. So anyway, be prepared for the potential of some strong thunderstorms on Thursday, Freezing, possibly sub-freezing temperatures on Sunday morning. Shoo. Well, Corey and I will be back next week for the full edition of the podcast. But right now, let's get to the interview with Dr. Wilbers. I am thrilled to have someone who knows a lot more about the effects of the sun on our skin than me. <laughs> we have with us today Dr. Christopher Wilbers, a dermatologist at Farrell Duncan in Springfield. So, Dr. Wilbers, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Great, great, great. Yes, I know. Uh, we are, uh, The uh, spring is here. The sun is out. People are at the lake and they are laying out and grabbing the sun and I think I know what you might say about that but that's probably not the best thing that they should do <laughs> am I right <laughs> Boy, it, it was it was a it was a beautiful day out there today for sure just the classic spring day wasn't it now I know uh I have to tell everyone, you are my dermatologist, and uh, we I had a visit with you a few weeks ago and uh, found out you are also interested in weather. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was actually my first uh, major in college uh, uh, at the University of Missouri, uh, low these many years ago. So, uh, Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. and But, but that just wasn't probably... The, what wasn't your goal I, at that time? <laughs> well, I, you know, it. I, I would. I thought it was just wonderful. I uh, grew up in uh, Mexico, Missouri, and we uh, got some of the St. Louis uh, uh, television stations there. And uh, I remember one of the uh, on you know television meteorologists uh, who you know had uh, actually had a degree in meteorology and as as you know back in the you know 70s and 80s that that was not all that common and right. a lot of folks were just sort of a uh, you know a weather announcer rather than being particularly knowledgeable about the weather and uh, i i thought well that's that's pretty cool and so i thought i you know i'm i like weather i love being outdoors i spent a couple of summers out on my dad's uh, farm and just love that, you know, being able to watch the sky and see whether, you know, events moving through. And uh, so I thought, hi, that's that's what I'm going to do, because I, I figured it was uh, also a great way to use science to help people. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and so it was it just fit a lot of my interests. And so. Um, so yeah, so that's what I declared as a, as a major going into the University of Missouri, which meant I was in the School of Agriculture and got a introductory, uh, meteorology course and, uh, a lot of, uh, physics, uh, and chemistry to go along with that. And, 
it was actually just the uh, pain of going through freshman level physics that kind of made me think rethink my major. Oh man! Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I knew I was going to have four years of you know more and more advanced physics and fluid dynamics and and it just uh, I was like I you know I I love you know the the subject matter but it was just I just was uh, uh, it was kind of taught at that level as kind of a weed out, and I I just felt like I don't know if I can take four years of kind of uh, <laughs> you know of, of that sort of uh, thrashing, and so uh, so I decided to look at you know other strengths that I had, and and biology was uh, felt like a really uh, natural fit for me, and so yeah. I changed my major to biology, and then again trying to figure out how I could use biology to. To help people, I had a great example in my dad of a uh, of a uh, of a wonderful caring physician, and so that was uh, the direction that I decided to go. Um, much to my parents' uh, uh, pleasure, they they knew that I was not necessarily going to college to become a physician, but uh, oh, they were yeah. pretty happy with that with that phone call when I announced the change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, I know exactly what you mean because I've. I've been totally fascinated in weather since I was 13 and thought about mm. becoming a me- meteorologist. But then I, like you said, you know, then I looked, you have to have physics and calculus and fluid dynamics and all this. You know, it took me two times in college to pass the baby math class. And, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I said, maybe yeah. that's not for, of course, I mean, I'm, I'm a musician, so I've been playing since I was three and a half. So, you know, music is my life. So I decided to make weather my passion and music my career. It sounds like you made dermatology your career and weather is another passion. Yeah. Yeah. Discovered uh, dermatology, you know, along the way. It wasn't uh, necessarily what I went to medical school to become. Hmm. Uh, But, you know, the the interesting thing about that is that, of course, our skin is kind of the organ of the body that really interfaces with the environment. And I didn't actually have that in mind when I, you know, per- decided to pursue dermatology. But, uh, you know, it, that's the part of us that encounters the weather, that encounters the, uh, uh, the, uh, the you know, all of the other insults that come along with uh, our environment. And, uh, uh, and uh, so it's uh, it's actually probably the the closest you know the closest that I could come in medicine to you know to uh, uh, to really being directly related to uh, to weather and uh, other environmental factors. Um, I think uh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, and I'm thankful that that you chose this, or else you know we wouldn't have ever met up or whatever. <laughs> well, that that kind of brings me around what you just said to to my basic question. You know, people are out and they're you know I. Same. We have Moonshine Beach down here. Uh, they're out on their boats. They're fishing, and I bet you yeah. more than half of those people are not even wearing sunscreen. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't think people take skin sun safety, uh, you know, serious enough uh, because at the time, you know, I see people, you know, their their skin gets leathery when they get older. I mean, and uh, you, you know, and skin cancers do develop. Um, is there like an average? I mean, people are the young people are out there in the, you know, getting all this sun. But how long does it really take for you know skin cancers to come up? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, by age seventy, uh, which that's 
older than probably a lot of uh, uh, your listeners, I'm guessing, you know, but by age 70, uh, you know, about one in five people will have developed a skin cancer. Wow. Uh, and so, and that's in the United States. That's not just looking at worldwide, that's specifically the U.S. So mm-hmm. that's a, you know, that's a very significant proportion. That's 20% of people. And, um, uh, you know, so uh, the, it's a, so it is prevalent. And in terms of onset, um, I would say it, it used to be that the, the average, you know, age of my patients was probably about 60 for their first skin cancer. Uh, and, um, uh, and I still kind of think in that mode that, you know, okay, well, late fifties, early sixties is probably going to be the most typical onset time, but I have, uh, you know, more and more patients and they're Forties and even in their thirties with uh, with skin cancer, uh, and um, uh, just had uh, somebody today that we biopsied in their thirties for a possible uh, basal cell carcinoma on the the upper chest. And, oh uh, man! Uh, and and so uh, so I'm seeing more and more uh, of that now. We don't see too many folks in their uh, you know, in their teenage years with with melanoma or other types of skin cancer, uh, partly because there's definitely a cumulative type of damage that occurs over time as we get impacted by those ultraviolet rays. They cause mutations in the DNA and the skin cells. And our our, our body does a fairly good job, actually, of picking up these little uh, mutations and repairing them. But over time, there are an accumulation of unrepaired uh, defects that build up to cause a lot of those aging changes that we see and uh, then eventually uh, to uh, allow the development of, uh, of skin cancer. So, wow. uh, so yeah. there's a wear and tear effect that happens, uh, you know, cumulatively over time. Well, well, that's probably what, you know, why some people in their, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s that have been laying out in the sun, their, their skin gets all leathery and there's really dark. It just basically they've just radiated their skin is what kind of what <laughs> I mean. I mean, do you yeah. think about it, you know? But we, yes, there's, it's very true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ultraviolet uh, light is, you know, in that electromagnetic spectrum of, of radiation. And uh, and it is, in fact, doing that. And, of course, we're also subjecting our skin to heat rays. Now, that doesn't maybe have as much effect on uh, cancer development as, as far as we know. The the heating of the skin and the, the infrared rays, uh, oh. which are also invisible. But they probably do have a significant effect on altering the uh, the, uh, the the look and the feel of the skin as far as aging changes are concerned, and particularly that kind of leatheriness that you uh, mm. that you mentioned earlier. Those rays penetrate more deeply into the skin, into the the second layer of the skin, which is called the dermis, and that's where those structural parts of our uh, of our skin that that, uh, that including collagen and uh, blood vessels and so forth, those are in that layer of the skin. And so as, as 
those layers literally get cooked uh, to a certain degree. Those proteins get altered by that that chronic, that heat and repeated heating, uh, and uh, and chain and elastic fibers in the skin get damaged and altered uh, to the point that we we lose skin elasticity. Uh, we lose the resiliency of the skin to injury. So you know, as people get older, they bump their arm on the desk or the corner of the door, and they get a big old bruise that you know when you know ah. years before they they never would have had that or maybe the skin even uh peels away or tears and uh, uh and again that has a lot to do with the loss of that that uh, structural resiliency and it's not just age it's actually the these these chronic effects of the uh of the sun and the heat on the skin over time will you'll people will notice those changes really happen on like for example the backs of the forearms and the hands but that inside part of the forearm or uh, the inside part of the arm closer to the armpit that never gets any sun uh, or rarely gets sun, uh, it, that, that skin usually doesn't have those kinds of problems nearly to that same degree, at least not until many, many years later. You know, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so the sun makes a huge difference in those kinds of changes. Well, that kind of leads me to my, my next question. You know, people think... You know, they just have. They just should protect like their their arm, just the, their forearm on the top, or put it on your forehead and your nose. But I mean, you you could really get burned. I mean, anywhere in your body, like like you're saying, underneath the arm where it doesn't, uh, you know, the the leathery part. Or I mean, people don't think you know, the top of the ears. I mean, I never think of the top of my ears, you know, that could be in danger. Well, you know, I, I mean, right. I wear a cap, sure. not a hat, but a cap, but, um, right. yeah, I mean the, the, the back of the knees, I guess. I mean, if you, if you lay out, uh, you know, face down or something, you're, you're exposing a lot of your body to, to that. So, right. so what, what should people do with, they, if they kind of notice, you know, like a, a mole or a growth or something on their hand, um, what should what should they do? Just watch it, or you know, if it changes or yeah, something. That's a, sure, that's a that's a great question, and you know, there's there there are different kinds of skin cancer, and and the most serious kind uh, that we encounter commonly is melanoma skin cancer. That is a cancer of the pigment cells, and and of course, it's pigment cells that make up the molds that we see in our skin. Uh, and the, the technical term for those is melanocyte. So that's where that term melanoma comes from. It's a cancer of the melanocyte or the pigment cell. Ah. The reason we're so concerned about that one is because it's the one that's most prone to metastasize, which is to spread internally. And so uh, so melanoma has that potential to do that, to like a, a breast cancer or a lung cancer or, or a colon cancer. Uh, mm. And uh, But the advantage is, is that you have the opportunity, you know, as a individual or your doctor has an opportunity to make a much earlier diagnosis because it's out on this surface that you can see. And so, uh, so yeah, I think the, you know, the idea that if I see a, a new or changing kind of spot on my skin, you know, maybe that's important. And uh, of course, not everything that's new and changing on our skin is going to be cancerous, but uh, they right. have to, uh, over the years, they've looked at some signs for melanoma to try to help 
help people uh, pick out uh, spots that might be uh, imp- might be uh, dangerous. And um, the one thing I've, I've found is that a lot of people kind of have this idea that, well, if I get a cancer, I'm just going to know it. You know, it's it'll it'll somehow send me a signal. It'll tell me it's uh-huh. a cancer, and then I'll know I need to go see the doctor. But uh, in fact, uh, you know, most melanomas at the at their most curable stages don't have any symptoms. Uh, So they're not going to necessarily itch or burn or sting or bleed. And so if you kind of wait for some kind of a signal like that to develop, you could be uh, getting a more advanced cancer. Uh, So yeah, so you mentioned about, you know, if you see something, and that's really the key is to, number one, you know, inspect the skin, uh, look at your own skin, and get to know your own uh, moles and spots that you have. Because the the thing about melanoma is that it, it's a unstable cancer. It's not going to just sit there and do nothing. Uh, so, so it's going to grow new, and, and progress. It's and... going to grow. That's right. It's going to develop, you know, so it's going to change in size, shape, or color uh, over time. It's not just going to kind of sit there for 20 years and and, 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 and look the same as it always has. Uh-huh. Uh, the... Uh, so a new a new pigmented spot, a new colored spot on the skin that you haven't had previously, uh, is a, is a big clue because about half of melanomas come up as brand new spots that you've never had before. About the other half come up as changed changes or degeneration within a pre-existing mole. And so, uh, and so a, a new or a changing spot, either one could be important. And there okay. are some criteria that, uh, you know, for looking at any a particular spot at one point in time that have been nicknamed the ABCDs of melanoma. And uh, I can run through those if, if, you, if sure. you like. If that yeah. Would be helpful. Everybody'd love to know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, A stands for asymmetry. Uh, that's kind of not the most common everyday word, but it basically uh, something is symmetrical if you mentally sort of cut the thing in half and the two halves would look like mirror image matches of each other. Mm, okay. And so most moles, if you imagine or look at your own arm or, or your back or your leg, uh, you know, if you just imagine sort of making a cut through any of the middle of those, most of them are going to be they're sort of round or oval to start with. And so uh, a slice through the middle is going to kind of make two matching halves. So that's good. Asymmetry would be the, the, the if those two halves look different from each other, and the more different that they look, or the the harder it would be to eat, find any way to slice the mole in half without uh, without those two halves being different, the, that's uh, uh, that becomes more and more of a concern. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so B uh, stands for border irregularity. So your most most of your normal moles on your body are going to have a nice sharp uh, edge to them. They're not going to be jaggedy and outlined like the the coast of Maine or uh, right, you know, right. or uh, or something uh, like that. They're going to have a nice smooth outline. So something that if you look at a mole and you start imagining, uh, you know, that it looks like. Some other object like a horse or uh, the or Australia or Africa or right, uh, you yeah. know, uh, a little man running, you know those kinds <laughs> of uh, you know those kinds of things where you're starting to have a an ink blot test as you look at your mole. That's a warning sign that mole's not not uh, a normal shape. Then uh-huh. C stands for color. 
so most moles should be one even color throughout. What the concern with a mole is not whether it's a light brown or a medium brown or a dark brown per se, but whether that color is even and uniform. So moles that have varieties of colors within them, uh, different shades of brown, and, and then even uh, the, the lack of pigment, so a white spot within a mole or uh, a red area that uh, develops within a, within a mole. Those huh. all can be uh, warning indicators of uh, something abnormal. So we like uniform color. Uh, and if there is occasionally a little, you know, dot, say, in the middle of your mole, and it, again, it's very symmetrical, that's not nearly as much of a concern as if you get some kind of, you know, irregular color area that's not in the center. So, right, right. Uh, so, and then finally, uh, the D stands for diameter. And uh, on average, most of our moles are going to be pencil eraser sized or smaller. So if you grab a pencil eraser, that's about six millimeters in diameter. And, and if you can cover up, you know, all of your moles with a pencil eraser, they're smaller than that. And that doesn't necessarily mean a funny looking small mole should get a pass. Okay. Right, it's right. Got the, if it's asymmetrical and has a regular border and a variation of colors, even if it's half the size of a pencil eraser, it probably needs to be looked at. But uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, just because a mole is bigger than that, if it's been sitting there for 20 years and it happens to be half again as big as a pencil eraser and it's never changed and it doesn't have any other funny features, it's probably not so bad. But on average, most melanomas that are diagnosed are six millimeters or larger in size. So gotcha. a, big, a, big, a mole bigger than that with, you know, one or more of those sort of unusual features is going to be a much more concerning mole that again should prompt somebody to get in to see their doctor and so uh, so we've got a b c and d all, Correct. All these. Yes. And then E, we actually talked about first. There is oh, an E. e. That's, uh, and that's evolution or change over time. So we kind of ah. introduced that before the ABCDs. But, uh, yeah, you know, so if a mole is stable, that's a good sign. If it's evolving, you know, uh, then that's a that's an unstable mole, and that's one that needs to be uh, needs to be looked at. Yes. Well, I mean, everybody knows, for me, they see me on live casts and everything, but I have fair skin. And my eyes are blue green, so and yeah. I I don't go out in the in the sun uh, that yeah. often. And when when I do, it's at a short distance or whatever. I've only been I would say heavily sunburnt twice in my life. Uh, when I was mm-hmm. fourteen, I went to the Bahamas. Didn't yeah. even realize it. Uh, it was in late spring. I uh, got blisters. Uh, yeah, at 14. Well, I'm in my mid fifties now. And another, another time was about 10 years ago. I went on a canoe trip and it took a lot longer than I thought. And I was an idiot. I have to admit, I didn't put sunscreen. Now I had shading. I had, you know, wore the, the long sleeves and had the hat on. But, yeah. you know, it, it was supposed to take four and a half hours, and it took about 10 hours. So, it, so the sun right. was setting when we pulled into right. to the, the dock under there. But, but having a sunburn, let me ask you this. What, if someone was unfortunate to get a sunburn, what do you suggest they do? I mean, how, how do you treat that? 
Right. Sure. Uh, well, you know, it, it depends a little bit on the severity and the and how extensive it is. So, you know, if it's just a little slight redness, uh, you know, and uh, there's no blistering, it's just over a limited area. Um, it's it may be a little bit uncomfortable for a short period of time. Uh, a person, you know, oftentimes can just soothe that with uh, with uh, cooling agents. I there's an over the counter. Uh, uh, product that I would often recommend in that situation uh, that uh, would be a lotion that contains some menthol and camphor. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I can mention brand names, but the one that sure. I, the one that I mentioned uh, the, to, to my patients quite often is Sarna. Uh, mm-hmm. That's spelled S-A-R-N-A, lotion, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got some nice cooling menthol and camphor, which is going to be soothing for that. It's also very helpful for itchy skin, so if people are out and get bug bites and ah. mosquitoes, uh, Sarna is a, is a wonderful uh, agent that can be applied really as often as a person wants to for some itch and uh, burning, stinging relief. And so that's a, that's a nice thing to have. That's uh, great. It comes that's in a nice big bottle and, you know, can, can be used frequently. Now, if it, if, you know, if you have a more extensive uh, burn and you're, a person is starting to kind of feel maybe a little sick, maybe a little feverish, which can sometimes happen because of the, uh, some of the uh, cytokines that that damage uh, releases from our skin, uh, it can make us feel like, you know, almost like you're kind of getting the flu. And ah. you may want to take some, uh, an anti-inflammatory, like some ibuprofen or a leave, uh, although those can actually make you more sensitive to the sun in terms of sunburning in the first place. So oh, keep, okay. Uh, keep that in mind if you have other expo- anticipated other exposures coming up. Uh, but uh, uh, but that can help to uh, alleviate that problem. I always encourage people to make sure if they do take those to stay really well hydrated because you don't want to damage your kidneys and to make sure also to take those with food because you don't want to irritate your stomach. Oh, yeah. Uh, from uh, with those uh, products, um, but okay. then you know the care for that uh, may you know a person may need to uh, if they have blisters uh, they may need to drain some of the fluid out of those blisters and then uh, apply an emollient something that's going to help retain moisture because that damaged skin barrier is going to dry out it's going to make it more uncomfortable and so I like Vaseline or coconut oil oh okay uh, or nice emollients to put on those and if you have raw areas from those blisters coming off then to kind of hold that in place with a non-stick uh, bandage like uh, Telfa, which kind of has a little plasticky surface. Oh, can, yeah, Telfa patch, uh, right. Keep the ointment in place uh, without sticking to the base of those. You don't want to let some, have something there that then dries out and gets stuck, and then you have to pull it off that raw skin. And oh, yeah. Terrible. No, that was, that uh, was what, what we call ungood. Uh, we, right. that is so yeah. good. well, a lot of people uh, that, that come in, yeah. uh, they have sunburns and stuff. They go immediately to the aloe vera. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, mm-hmm. What's your thoughts yeah. on aloe? Well, I mean, I think it, I think if it, if it feels nice, I don't really have a problem with aloe. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, 
kind of in that cooling, soothing agent type of a thing. But if that skin is denuded, if that top of those blisters is peeling, is come off and there's raw skin underneath there, uh, the aloe is not going to really help the healing of that uh, the way that uh, those emollients like the Vaseline and the coconut oil would do. That's you've great to know. you new skin cells there. Yes, so, because so yeah, many people so, just want to run out and get that aloe, whatever, they, you know, and just smear it all yeah. over them. But, but it may not be the best thing, depending on what, like what you're saying. If it's a, a severe burn, you probably want to use the, the, the camphor and the, the, what, what, what did you say? The, yeah, the sarna with the menthol yeah. and the camphor, or the aloe for mild burns. I think those, you know, those would be for you know more on the mild side, and then, like I said, the more severe burns than the those uh, things like the ibuprofen by mouth, and then the uh, emollients on the surface of the skin. Well, now you you'd mentioned uh, the 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 really bad cancer, which is uh, the melanoma. But uh, we were talking a few weeks ago. I mean, aren't there? There's two other ones, right? There's the basal cell and the squamous cell. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, yeah, so squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma. Those are much more common than melanoma, uh, and actually, if you look at the statistics, um, more people die of squamous cell carcinoma each year than die of melanoma just because of the, the much higher numbers of those that are diagnosed. Uh, but uh, they're, uh, they are not cancers of the pigment cells of the skin, but cancers of the skin cells themselves. So the, ah. it's mutations in those epidermal cells, that outer layer of the skin, that uh, uh, the, when, those, when mutations happen in those cells, that's where you have the potential to get the basal cell carcinoma or the squamous cell carcinoma. Gotcha. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I, I'm glad... Excuse me. I'm glad when uh, when I see you, you you've got the nitrogen gun. You're ready every uh, every time. <laughs> and I used to be afraid of that, but I'm not anymore. And if people's if anyone's ever gone to a dermatologist before, I mean that's that's usually a good first step. Am I correct? I mean, if you have a a precancer, yeah. something that's not cancer yet, is just to freeze it off just right there. Correct. Yeah. So those things that we treat with that liquid nitrogen freezer uh, are um, actinic keratosis. Those are a precancer that can become squamous cell carcinoma. So we're able to, you know, identify these spots that have directly have that potential to go bad and and turn into one of those. So we uh, basically apply a little mini frostbite to each of those places and uh, that kills that outer layer of skin cells with cold and they blister up and scab over and, and fall off and they may leave you with a little whitish spot where they were, but uh, uh, most of the time that uh, that particular spot uh, doesn't come back and and have the opportunity to become the the squamous cell carcinoma skin cancer. Good, and, and people uh, should not be afraid of the liquid nitrogen. I mean, it it's actually not painful. It stings a little bit, but that sting just goes away like within ten seconds. I mean, it's <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you're- you're you're tough and you're tolerant and that is that oh is really that's good. that's a difference. You know, <laughs> I, there there are some people that do have a challenge, you know. Tolerating. Oh really? And I I wouldn't minimize that because but, you know for those folks be, because uh, everybody perceives you know pain differently. That's and so true. There is, yes, it is it, it is somewhat painful and you know I the beard. 
you know, talking about numbers, and I, you know, I had somebody today that we did over forty of those, you know, in oh, one wow. office visit, and um, you know, at, you know, two or three, not so bad. You know, having forty at a time, uh, that's a lot for you know somebody who uh, who has average tolerance to, to handle, and this person happens to have a very high pain tolerance, and so they were able to put up with that, but not everybody, you know, can do that, and so that that's, that's true. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. More frequently. Yeah, yes. Well, I uh, go every uh, single year, every single year, unless mm-hmm. I'm asked to come back more often. But yeah, it's really, really good to have to go and see a dermatologist once a year, have them have them check you over, make sure nothing is is going on, because the last thing people want to get is a basal cell, squamous cell, or or God forbid, melanoma, cancer. You need to get that taken care of. Well, I guess my last question for you is sunscreen. People should wear sunscreen. What, in your opinion, would be the best sunscreen out there? I mean, SPF 5000 or, you know, there's so many, (laughs) so many numbers out there, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, of course, yeah, unfortunately, we get a lot of conflicting information from, you know, various sources saying, well, you don't need, uh, you know, to use over a 15 or, you know, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of mixed messages out there about sunscreen. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let me just start by saying sun protective clothing. We were talking, you were talking about clothing on your, on your canoe trip earlier. And, yes. you know, sun protective clothing wins over sunscreen every time. Uh, you know, I bet on that canoe trip, chances are you didn't burn anywhere that you kept covered with clothing. That's right. Uh, uh, and uh, and you know, and clothing just always works better with sun than sunscreen does. And now there's so many clothes out there that are designed to be cooling as well as ultraviolet protective. And those then those clothes that have fabric that's been tested, they'll say UPF some number. And oh. if it says UPF. 30 or above, then that clothing has a good ability to absorb ultraviolet light, even if it's otherwise light and cool. And so I, I try to encourage people to cover up everything that you can with something that's light and cool like that. But if you're tanning through a piece of clothing, uh, then that is not protective enough. So those real thin white cotton t-shirts that uh, uh, that you sometimes see folks wearing, that you hold it up to the sun and it just, you could, you could could see right through it or you could read a newspaper through it. Exactly. Yes. That's not a, you can't, that's not protecting you from the sun. So, uh, but then for sunscreen, you know, uh, I think, you know, you're, I don't really have one particular brand or one particular product to recommend. I think there are a lot of good ones. And I use consumer reports reviews actually to help me uh, recommend to my patients, you know, what sunscreen for this particular year uh, is perform is likely to perform well. But we look for a SPF sun protective factor of I recommend 50 or above for everybody. Uh, you know, some people will tell me I'll put a 15 on my you know arms, I'll put a 30 on my face, and you don't have to make it that complicated. Just go <laughs> for a 50 plus everywhere, um, uh-huh. and make sure it also says broad spectrum because that means it also blocks the UVA rays, which are uh, sort of the stealth rays of the sun. They're kind of the we think of them as the aging rays. We think of the UVB rays as the burning rays of the sun. And that SPF number really only 
tells you how well it protects UVB rays. Uh, oh, okay. The, uh, uh, the the word broad spectrum means that it's been tested also to include good protection in the UVA range. See, that's, and then beyond that, I think it's good to know that you know uh, sprays uh, of sunscreen tend to go on awful thin, and so sunscreen sprays usually need at least two layers and a and a smearing around of the sunscreen in between the, those the application of those two layers to be able to get uh, the number that you're seeing on the label. So in general, lotions or, or gels uh, are more are going to give you protection with just one layer. But it does need to be generous. It's uh, it's best to use about uh, you know about two tablespoons if you were going to cover the whole body. Uh, about two tablespoons, uh, which is about oh. uh, about one ounce uh, to cover the whole body. So uh, so that's that. That, that's that's probably more generous than what a lot of people use, and that's one of the reasons sunscreens can fail. Uh, and the other is that you know they wash off and they also just get used up. And so after about two hours of exposure, their absorbing capacity is just used up, even if you've been dry. Oh. Uh, Eighty minutes in the water is the most water-resistant sunscreen that you'll find, and they have to now put that on the label what they're claiming for water resistance, uh, and it's either going to be you know none, forty, or eighty minutes. And uh, so that means every you know, if you have an 80 minute resistant sunscreen, that means every 80 minutes, if you're at the lake, you're hopping in and out of the water, or you're just out in the garden sweating heavily, uh, then you have to, you need to reapply that sunscreen every 80 minutes to keep up the, the protection. Because I've always you're heard wiping that. A lot of sweat off in between, you're wiping your sunscreen away too. Yeah, so, yeah, I've always heard that. People, you know, they'll go to the pool and then they say, well, I have to reapply my sunscreen, but that that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it when those lifeguards, if they, you know, if you're at the pool where there's a lifeguard and they blow that whistle, you know, once an hour to have people get out of the pool and have a break, mm-hmm. put that sunscreen on before you get back in again. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you know, we don't want to say, you know, tell people, you know, don't be afraid of the sun. Don't go out and have a good time. Right. Just right. make sure, protect yourself so you don't have to go through, you know, getting a, a cancer excised. Uh Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think most people are going to be happier, healthier you know, as a whole person, you know, with outdoor activity. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for people getting out of doors and, and doing those uh, those things that help them to be, uh, you know, happy and healthy physically. Uh, uh, you know, it's, if a person can avoid uh, the, the, the sun about two hours before and two hours after uh, that uh, that uh, uh, that point where the sun's at its zenith, uh, which is going to be a little different if it's daylight savings versus uh, right. you know, versus <laughs> not. Uh, but if they can avoid the sun for two hours before and after, you're missing about more than sixty percent of the of the UVB rays of the day right there. Uh, okay. So if you can do more activities earlier in the morning, more in the later in the afternoon, uh, you're not going to have nearly as much of a challenge uh, getting your your sunscreen and your sun protective clothing to work for you as you will at that uh, at the middle of the day. And uh, and that's when people should mow their lawns in the early morning or late yeah. at night. Number one, yeah. uh, less sun. Yeah. Number two, it's cooler. <laughs> 
absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we didn't even talk about things like heat stroke and all that. That goes beyond oh. uh, the dermatology realm. But uh, all those, yeah, all of those things can uh, can occur. So. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, our listeners know on our podcast and on our website, uh, we I do uh, little weather schools, and we strongly suggest people to go and look at that. I've got one about heat. Uh, actually, we've got about thirty or forty different weather schools out there. And uh, so we need to check that out. Dr. Wilbers, this has been just thrilling. I'm so glad you decided to come on the, the special guest segment today. And uh, I hope you had a good time. Oh, I did. It was great. And it's, uh, it's, always, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. And I'm, you know, I, I'm passionate about uh, trying to educate my patients. And so a lot of the things that we talked about today are things that I'm, uh, you know, uh, telling people in the office every day. So I, I hope it's been uh, helpful to uh, your listeners and that uh, there'll be uh, a lot of fewer people with uh, uh, problems with their skin from the sun this uh, this summer as a result. Oh, I, I, I hope nobody has any, any issues. And, you know, if you've never seen a dermatologist, go see a dermatologist. Just get yourself checked, get a baseline, make sure nothing's going on. Matter of fact, I got to admit, since we were sitting here doing doing the interview, I've been looking at my moles, uh, just making sure that none of them have, have grown. And <laughs> so I'm being very aware of that. Uh, well, again, thank you. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to really take this hopefully to heart and use sunscreen and cover up when they're out on the pool and stuff. So uh, we'll have to have you back sometime. All right. Well, I'd, I'd sure appreciate uh, the opportunity, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'll just mention if people would like to get some more information, either about skin cancers or sun protection. Uh, the American Academy of Dermatology uh, has a website online, aad.org, and there's Perfect. public information there. And then the Skin Cancer Foundation, uh, I think, has some really good information specifically honed in on skin cancer. And that's very easy, skincancer.org. So, and they'll, they'll have uh, photos so and everything be, there, too, so people can go and there look? There are photos. There are information sheets and uh, uh, statistics about skin cancer. There's uh, a whole uh, variety of information at both of those sites. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And the AAD.org also has a lot of information about many other kinds of skin disorders as well. So if people are looking for a resource on other things besides skin cancer and the sun, that's a, that's a great choice as well. Perfect. Perfect. Go to those websites. Well, I look forward to seeing you on our next visit. 